0: walking hypocrites. They are going around in their lead capes, their lead and golden capes, around the circle of the sixth pouch of fraud, down in the bottoms of hell. Hi, I'm Mark Scarborough. This is the podcast, Walking with Dante, and we're not walking quite as slowly as they are, although sometimes it seems as if we are. I told you, I wanted to do this thing at my rate of speed, so... (laughs) I'm not going to be a hypocrite, but I'm still going to move pretty slow. We're in Kento 23 of Inferno. We're at lines 82 through 108. We're going to find that who the hypocrites are who going around this circle with our pilgrim and Virgil who have slid down the slope to get away from some terribly vicious demons out of the fifth pouch. If you don't know what any of that means, oh, God help your mortal soul. You need to probably go back and catch up with us. Go back to the beginning (laughs) of Walking with Dante and find out how we got here. At least go back to, I don't know, somewhere around Canto 18, Canto 17 along in there and at least catch up with us in fraud. But nonetheless, even if you're here for the first time, welcome to the College of the Hypocrites. Here we go. Canto 23 of Inferno, lines 82 through 108. I stopped and saw two make a big spirited effort to get up to me, but were slowed by their burden and the straightened path. When they finally got to me, they gave me the side eye without saying a word. Then they turned to each other and said together,
1: That one might be alive because his throat moves. If they were both dead, what permits them to skip wearing the heavy coat?
0: Then they said to me,
1: Oh, Tuscan, who has come to the Synod of the Hypocrites! Don't diss us by not telling us who
0: you are!" And I to them, I was born and reared in the grand town beside the beautiful Arno River, and I'm in the body I've always had but who are you what great sorrow distills the tears running down your cheeks and what grief is on you that still glitters so much one of them replied to me
1: our orange cloaks are made of so much lead that their weight makes us creak along like out of balance scales. We were jolly friars, Bolognese in fact. My name is Catalano and this is Lodoringo. We were put into service by your city, just as a single man is usually chosen to maintain the peace. And we were the type of that you can still see our
0: results around the gardingo well that's it a lot of history bound up into these two characters history that dante is very familiar with we're going to take this passage in three segments we're going to talk about the guys coming along we're going to talk about dante's response to them and then their answer to him and exactly historically who they are. So let's get to it at the top of the passage. I stopped, it says, and saw two make a big spirited effort to get up me were slowed by their burden and the straightened path. I mean, these guys are two-sided, right? Their cloaks are two-sided because they're gold on one side and lead on the inside, gold on the outside and lead on the inside. But they're also two-sided here. They want to make a spirited approach. They're trying their best to catch up with the pilgrim. Remember, they can barely walk in these lead cloaks. And yet they're slowed down by their burden and their straightened path. So their motivations, their essence, their character is doubled. And we could even say that what they want to do, they can't. But if we say that, we get very dangerous. What we would be saying is that they're hypocrites. They can't help themselves. They may want to do something, catch up with me, but they can't because they're hypocrites. Ooh, if you say that, Sin is becoming ontological. It's becoming a state of being. Only God in Christian theology can make being, which means that you're saying that God made them who they are and their sin as a part of who they are. A lot of the early commentators get very close to this. And when I read that commentary, I always think danger, Will Robinson, danger. You are in trouble. You're getting to the point where you're going to make sin ontological instead of decisional, instead of a epistemological. Instead of a question of what you know, you're going to make it a question of your being. And if so, you're going to make God the creator of sin. Danger, danger, danger. So I don't think that we should see that in the way that many commentators see it, that they can't help themselves. Even when they want to do good, they are constrained by their hypocrisy. I think that's dangerous. It makes sin part of their being. But we can say that they are two-sided. They have something that they want to do and something that they, in fact, are doing. And there's two sides to this coin. There's a question about the straightened path. They were slowed by their burden and the straightened or narrowed path. It's a question that bothers a lot of the critics. A lot of Dantistas get caught on this. And I don't have an easy answer for it. Why is the path here straightened? Is it crowded with lots of hypocrites in other words are their capes so big and there are so many of them that they can't really make any progress here because you know it's just so full Or is this a particularly narrowed pouch? And actually, if I'm going to have to come down somewhere, it's going to become on that second one that this is a particularly narrowed pouch. But we have to wait for a future episode of the podcast to explain that. But I just want to tell you that that question of why is this path or why is this pouch narrowed is a big one in commentary. So they finally get up to him and they give him the side eye. In the Florentine, it says they give him an oblique eye. I should tell you that this is the standard glance of the envious. In Ovid, the Metamorphoses, in book two, line 776, we are told that the look of envy is sidelong. That is, out of the side of their eye, I have a collie who side-eyes me all the time, and I always think about Ovid and the metamorphoses every time he walks past me and throws me the side-eye because I haven't taken him out or given him dinner or whatever he wants to. So they too are giving our pilgrim the side eye. And I think that in Dante's understanding of Ovid, we're supposed to see these guys as envious of this pilgrim and Virgil, who are kind of sailing along under their own steam in the pouch. And you'll notice they say that one might be alive because his throat moves. There's the envy. Oh, and if they were dead, what permits them to skip wearing the heavy coat? This is the first time we've knowed, we've heard someone note that the pilgrim seems to be breathing. It's going to come up more and more in comedy, but this is one of the first moments in which it truly occurs, and it's wild, right? They seem kind of envious of him. I mean, Dante's gasp? before, but no one's ever pointed to him and said, hey, you're still breathing. People have said, you're still alive. And remember, Chaco even says, if you get back up, remember me. And Chaco notices that Dante's alive. But it's this up and down movement of the throat that seems interesting here, and it's going to play out in the passage. We have to kind of hold it later in a subsequent episode out of this very canto. Someone's going to be breathing very hard, and this is going to all play out. Here Dante's moving, there someone's going to be breathing hard. Just wait for it. Again, I think it seems as if they're if they're envious, and they also speak a very legal language. What permits them to skip wearing the heavy coat? Per qual privilegio? It's very legalistic language. It's language that learned friars would use, but it's also language that politicians would use. By what right do they get to skip wearing the heavy coat? And it's important to know that because, in fact, they are politicians, but we'll get to that. Then they said to me, and notice they turned to him, they've kind of side-eyed him, they've spoken to each other in one voice, and then they turn to him and say, O Tuscan, which instantly reminds us of Ferranata, who says the same thing, O Tuscan, O Tuscan, who has come to the synod, the collegio, the college of the hypocrites, who's come to the big meeting of the hypocrites, Don't diss us by not telling us who you are. Hypocrites. They've named themselves. They've said what their sin is. They've declared it straight out. We see that envy may underlie the sin and envy does underlie a lot of hypocrisy in our world. Why hypocrites here? Dante is actually riffing off a definition from Ugo Cione of Pisa's 13th century book, the Magne Derivationes, the major derivations, the big derivations. It's a book of fanciful etymologies. And in this book, Cione claims that hypocrite, this is not correct, comes from the Greek hipper, hyper hyper H-Y-P-E-R, meaning above, and crisis, meaning gold. So in other words, it's gilded on the outside, but bad on the inside. That's actually not the etymology of the word hypocrites. It's a false etymology, and it's probably the one Dante knows, and it's probably why their capes are made to be gilded on the outside and leaden on the inside. Dante doesn't know that's not the right etymology of the, of the word hypocrite, because partly because Dante doesn't know Greek, and secondly, because it's in a book and he doesn't see these as fanciful etymologies. He's used this as good learning. Notice that they appear eager to catch up, but they're really envious. Notice that they speak between themselves in a kind of legalese, and then turn and give this big address. Oh, Tuscan, who has come to the collegio, the synod, the council of the hypocrites. Don't diss us by not telling us who you are. They're as oily as they can possibly be. They're double-sided. They are indeed hypocrites. And wow, what a shock. They're in monks' or friars' clothing. Let's pass on in the passage. And I to them, I was born and reared in the grand town beside the beautiful Arno River, and I'm in the body I've always had. What's so interesting about this reply, I love this reply from Dante the Pilgrim, is he just told them what they already know. They already know he's a Tuscan. They've already said that he speaks Tuscan. They already they, – would clearly know what is the town that is the big town in that on the Arno River. I mean, maybe they didn't discern exactly that he came from Florence, and maybe that's the point because they certainly have a lot to do with Florence, as we'll see basically, he's telling them what he they already know. He says, I'm in the body I've always had. I mean, they're the ones who said his throat moves. That one might be alive because his throat moves. I think Dante the Pilgrim is being very cagey here. And I think it's important to watch it happen because I think the cageyness is how you deal with hypocrites. You kind of don't tell too much and you don't get too close because hypocrites are dangerous. This is very different Dante the Pilgrim, Then we saw, for example, in the canto with the Simoniacs, where Dante adopts this prophetic gesture and discourses about the, the Constantine's error in giving the church so much power and throws out this giant prophecy about churchly corruption. You should go back and look at that in canto 19 because it plays into this canto in interesting ways. But here, instead of stepping up. And, you know, uh, giving a grand pronouncement, our pilgrim seems to be very cagey and hold up because he just wants to know, who are you and what great sorrow distills? And the word is distills, a distillate, the tears running down your cheeks. And we should think. Back to the opening of this canto of the water sluicing over the mill. There's all kinds of references to moving water to, in fact, uh, homespun products, distillation and granaries that are uniting these episodes together. What grief is on you that glitters so much? So Dante wants to know, okay, you're hypocrites. How were you a hypocrite? And boy, do they tell him. One of them replied to me, "Are orange, and he says orange, which is interesting. He doesn't say gold. Most of the translators give it the word gold. It's not. It's the word orange. It seems to me to indicate that the gilding on the outside of the capes that they wear is false that it's not actually gold that's on the outside of these things. It looks like gold, but isn't. And I I take that off this word orange here. Our orange cloaks are made of so much lead that their weight makes us creak along like out of balance scales. Okay, let's stop right there. It's complicated. Basically, think about the human body as shoulders on a spine. It's a medieval understanding, particularly of how the body operates. So you have shoulders coming out laterally from a spine, right, so you have a horizontal shoulders had a vertical spine. And if you just think about what that looks like, it looks like an old fashioned scales where the there's the center pole and then the pans that hang off the arms. And that would be your hands that hang off your arms. And so you kind of look like a scale in some strange way. There's two things we can say about this. One, even in Dante's day, the scales is a symbol of justice, of social justice. And so that these guys are out of balance scales indicates that the hypocrites have perverted justice in some way. And indeed, these boys certainly did. But there's also something else that's going on here. Think about that image again, the shoulders across and the spine going down. It is an image of the cross. And so by being out of balance scales, these guys are a blasphemous parody of the crucifixion. You have to keep that in your brain for what's going to happen ahead of us in this sixth evil pouch. These guys look like a perverted or blasphemous representation of of the crucifixion. And the capes are so heavy that their bones rub against each other. So they creak along and then they define exactly who they are. We were Jolly Friars. Ah, the Frati Gaudenti. This name is Probably a slur, Frati Gaudenti, for a much more austere order. It's the Knights of the Militia of the Blessed Virgin in Glory. This Uh, uh, what do I want to say, assemblage of knights was founded as an order, or as many people now say, refounded as an order in 1261 in Bologna. And in fact, one of these guys, Catalano, was one of the refounding, founding founding members, if it's refounded and had been before, then he's a refounding member of this order of the knights of the militia of the Blessed Virgin in glory. These are a group of men sanctioned by Pope Urban IV. They are referred to as a slur as the Jolly Friars because they were allowed to marry. They didn't have to be celibate. They could own their own homes. They didn't have to be mendicant and poor the way many friars were. They just had to abstain from gold and silver and public banquets. (laughs) You can see the irony that's going on here. And you can imagine, if I established an order of kind of lay friars, an order of knights who could be friars, you can see instantly that this could be severely abused. The Frati Gaudenti, the Jolly Friars. And again, it's probably that name, which they themselves embrace, is probably actually a slur on who they are. And it was started in Bologna, and these are two of them, and they are historical figures. We have Catalano and Loraringo. That's Catalano di Guido di Ostia of the Catalani family. He is a Gelf, a Bolognese Gelf, and one of the the re-founders of this order. The other Loringo is Loringo de Andalo. He's a Ghibelline. So they're on opposite sides. There's a Gelf and a Ghibelline. He is also in this order as a historical personage. They themselves had political careers. Here's what happened. There's all kinds of fighting going on between the Gelfs and the Ghibellines, as you know. They're trying to tone this all down. The Pope is getting involved and trying to tone this all down. And there are various leaders of the towns, podestas. There was a podesta of Florence, a leader of the town. And sometimes these podestas were chosen from outside the town in order that the sect violence could be calmed down. In other words, instead of picking people from my own town who were already divided up in science, I'm going to pull somebody in from the outside to be, we might say, the mayor of Florence, the Podesta. That's too common to say, but okay. The mayor of Florence. And, you know, you be that because you're not going to be part of the factional siding that's going on inside of Florence. These guys were actually chosen, in fact, in 1266 to be together the Podesta of Florence. Usually, as he says, it's usually a single man chosen, and usually it is a single person chosen, but instead, in order to kind of calm things down, Pope Clement IV appointed a Guelph and a Ghibelline to the post of Podesta of Florence. Why? So that there would be both representatives of Ghibellines and Guelphs. However, It didn't go quite like that. These guys were in the service of Pope Clement IV. Pope Clement IV wanted the Ghibellines washed out of Florence. They instigated rioting. And in 1267, they burned the Ghibelline homes in the Gardingo. Gardingo means watchtower. It was one of the large towers that were in Florence. If you've been to Tuscany, you know that in the Middle Ages, towns often built these large, tall, well, for the day, skyscrapers. This is, in fact, the very area where Farinata's family, the Ubertis, lived. The Ghibellines were burned out. Their houses were burned down. That place is now the piazza that stands right in front of the Palazzo Vecchio in Florence. If you know that place, it's that piazza where the copy of Michelangelo's David is. The entrance to the Uffizi is right Around the corner and down a little corridor from there. The Palazzo Vecchio is there. That's that open space. That's where these Ghibelline homes were burned out. And these guys, in the service of Clement IV, allowed essentially civil unrest to happen inside of Florence and burn out the Ghibellines, which you know only brought on more insane Ghibelline and Guelph fighting down the road, including Farinata and his whole crew. In other words, these guys in the service of the Pope didn't bring about the peace. They were hypocrites. Religious hypocrites? No political hypocrites. Think about that for a minute. You might have expected, since they were friars and walking along in these robes from Cluny and even first identified themselves as friars, part of the Jolly Friars, I lay order allegedly of people to do good, but who ended up mostly just carousing around. These guys created political hypocrisy, political hypocrisy double dealing down here in this place that is as quiet as a cathedral so hypocrisy is not limited to the church or how do i say hypocrisy is not limited to post-victorian world sexual immorality there is a kind of political hypocrisy that can be practiced and isn't it deeply ironic that these two guys catalano and Lorringo? Who were Podesta of Florence held the same post that Dante, our poet, held. And here he meets former Podestas who caused even more chaos in Florence and led to the political rivalries that plagued Dante's own life. He's meeting guys who held his office and who caused great chaos in Florence, including the burning out of even the place where Farinata's family lived, which is now an open square in Florence. Do you see the incredible depths of personal, historical, cultural, political, and religious irony going on all around this passage? And it's gonna get thicker. In fact, we're gonna learn that there's more than meets the eye here down in this pouch of the hypocrites up next in the episodes of walking with Dante. So subscribe rate this podcast thank you so much for doing that i saw a couple of comments in the past couple weeks that blew my mind they were so wonderful thank you for that listen i sit in my house in new england it's cold winter i'm recording these episodes about the hypocrites i'm Talking into a box, as I tell my husband Bruce, I talk into this box about Dante, <laughs> and I wonder who's hearing me, and to see that someone's hearing me, it I don't know, I can't explain it to you. It just makes my whole day. Thank you for trusting me as your companion on this journey. I, I can't thank you enough for that trust, and come back. we got more to do with the hypocrites, more to see, and something, as I've already told you will leave even Virgil slack-jawed. I'm Mark Scarborough. This is Walking with Dante.